Thank you so much, Pastor Jason, for leading us in our service and our prayers. And welcome, everyone. Thank you again for braving the rain and coming here and renewing our fellowship in person. For all those tuning in, we welcome you too. And anytime we gather as God's people to hear His Word, it is wonderful. If you're friends, new to Christianity, we hope the sharing from God's Word will enlighten you and more than enlighten you, draw you to know Him. And so the topic we want to cover today has to do with this. The ultimate confidence question is how saved are you? And then how safe are you? How confident are you of the loss in your life? Let me just repeat that question as we start, because that's a very dangerous question. Are there people who love you? Just checking on your left and right. Are there people who love you? How confident are you of the loss of your life? How assured are you that the people you love so sincerely love you back so dearly? How confident? What are your love languages? And a few love languages could be touch, could be words, could be gifts of service. One of my love languages is actually touch, touchy-feely. Right? So an almost unconscious way I express it in my married life is by holding hands with Mona, especially when we go out. And ever so often when we're out walking or shopping or for a meal or going for an appointment or even for ministry, I will reach out my hand to her and usually she's walking beside and often behind me. That's a very good biblical model. Head and behind. So I'll reach out my hand and quite a few times over the last 30 over years, I almost held another person's hand because she was too far behind, especially on escalator. It just happened to me last week. I reach out and she was... Three, four steps behind, I thought, just as why well, I didn't hold that woman's hand. Or else you would have read the headline, Pastor does ABC, XYZ. There is nothing more embarrassing socially than mistaken hands and mistaken identity. I remember waking up to the loud shouts of fire. Fire, fire, in Chinese, in Mandarin, in dialect. And the shouts, it grew from shouts to screams to mass hysteria. And it wasn't an isolated shout or a deranged scream. It seemed like the whole street and the whole town that I grew up in in Malaysia was now wailing. So I rushed out in the darkness of the night with my dad, my uncles, my cousins. There was a fire in, in town. It's a one-street town, if you ever go, go there. I rushed out and... Uh, we found out to our horror as we watched the fire, a whole family died. A whole family of 13 died. All in one family. Not unusual during my time. My family is 12. The biggest in my class was 15 children from one mother. 13 members of one family died in that fire. So we waited for the fire engines and the firemen to put it out the screams and then the smell of the family being burned to death, overwhelmed and overpowered, all the helpless shouts of the whole town standing there but totally helpless to do anything about it. And you ask yourself the question, how on earth did a whole family of 13 perish so tragically? If you know anything of the houses of the 50s and the 60s, like everybody else's house, 
the wooden houses had iron bars on the wooden frames. And the iron bars on the wooden frames are to keep the thieves out. But the very same iron bars was that came out the external danger of thieves were the very bars that shut them to a greater internal danger of fire that killed the whole family. Is there a lesson there? I think so. That nothing shakes us to the core more than this. Nothing shakes us to the core more than what? That the very thing you and I turn to, to trust, to protect us, becomes the very thing that endangers you and is fatal to you. Child sexual abuse we must hate in any shape and form. And child sexual abuse occurs when sexual activity takes place involving a minor. And child sexual abuse can take various forms, but the sadness and the pain is not in the form of the abuse, but who abuses the child. Unthinkably, a significant number of perpetrators of child abuse are unthinkably family friends or relatives or teachers or coaches or babysitters. Much trusted family friends now employ sexual grooming. You know what sexual grooming is? Sexual grooming is when we deliberately go and confuse a, a young child or a teenager and manipulate them as, as their victims and the, the person shows special interest to the child, buying gifts and then it escalates, escalates to hugging and then tickling games, making them feel loved and safe and welcome with this uncle or auntie or teacher or coach or friend or at some point, it blurs the line between care and love and sex and the abuse is unleashed and the trauma is for life. There is nothing that shakes us more to the core than this. That the very persons we turn to to protect us may become the very persons who endanger us. It's not turning to the what is turning to the who that shakes you to the core. So how assured are you of the people you turn to love, to trust, to protect, to give you purpose and meaning and safety in life? In Romans 5, 1-11, our scripture passage that starts this year addresses confidence and assurance. But it addresses confidence and assurance at the deepest level and for all eternity. How sure are you and, me, you and me that you're going to be saved from Satan? How sure are you and I that you're going to be saved from sin? And unthinkably, how sure are you and me that you're going to be saved from God's rightful wrath against us? How do you know you're on the right side of God, not on the wrong side of God? How assured that you're going to heaven and not to hell when you close your eyes and breathe your last? Or just imagine that nothing happens. There is no heaven, there is no hell. Imagine, said John Lennon. Please don't imagine. Because we do not live lives by imagination. We live lives by revelation. Here is the revelation of God 
and what it means to be made in His image, and what it means to live either in obedience to Him or disobedience to Him, in submission to Him or subversion against Him. And there are repercussions. There are truly repercussions. And so, how do we begin our time? Romans 5, verse 6 to 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, a righteous person, perhaps a morally right person, morally upright person, though perhaps for a good person, a person perhaps who does good public works, visible, beneficial, one would dare even to die. But God shows, displays His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There are few purple passages of the Bible. And this seven weeks, we're going to give you seven purple passages of the Bible that we pray will become anchor truths to your life. So today we begin with a series called Back to Basics, Back to Jesus. And why is that so important? If COVID-19 has exposed anything, what has it exposed? If COVID-19 has exposed anything about your heart and my heart, collectively and globally, is that when you've opened the human heart underneath the facade of progress and security and assurance and confidence, is anxiety, uncertainty and outright fear. Outright fear, right? And so my sister who lives, who lives in Brisbane just sent me a note. Oh, Brisbane just got locked down for three days. Oh, massive rush at the supermarket. Then we sit there, oh, yeah, been there, done that. Huh? All the toilet paper, all the noodles, we bought a lot really, now cannot con consume. Rip open your heart and what do you find? A very insecure being. Rip open your heart and what do you find? Anxiety, insecurity, fear. The fear of infection, the fear of incurable disease, the fear ultimately of death. That's why you are with a mask. That's why I'm so bold. I have no mask. No, I've just been given permission by the government to be able to preach to you with a three-meter distance without a mask. So much of it was displayed deeply rooted in our shallow understanding of who God is and who we are. So much of our fear, so much of anxiety, so much of our angst, our lostness in this world is deeply rooted in our shallow understanding of God. Did you get that? It's deeply rooted in our shallow understanding of God and who we are. So when you're talking about church together here, or church at home, we pray that through this series, here in NRPC and you tuning in from anywhere, we're going to make sure that you're not saved by presumption, that you're saved by affirmation. Because the most dangerous spiritual problem is presuming you are right with God when we are wrong with God, presuming you are going to heaven when we are going to hell, presuming we are saved when we actually stand condemned by God. Pharisees, religious teachers, Sadducees and the chief priests of Jesus' time all presumed they were going to heaven, but all did not make it. But for all who didn't presume they were going to heaven, from the prostitutes to the tax collectors to the sinners, they entered heaven. So this seven series 
in our Bible studies and our sermons, I hope I've drawn your attention to the seriousness of this. You presume you're going somewhere when you're going nowhere. You presume that something protects you when it endangers you. You presume that someone loves you when that person doesn't. You couldn't get more shaken to the core than that. And so, to really understand Romans 5, we always have to understand God's Word in context. And so the context is what we begin our reading. I'm not ashamed. And Pastor Jason asked the right question. What is it you are proud of? Inverted commas. What are you ashamed of? I hope you're not ashamed of your husband. You're not ashamed of your wife. You're not ashamed of your father. You're not ashamed of your mother. You're not ashamed of your brother or your sister. You're not ashamed of your grades. We should never be ashamed of the gospel. And gospel basically means good news. Good news of God. Good news from God. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And who is the everyone who believes? He tells you that. This good news first came to the Jews. We just did Genesis. And it began with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And then went into Israel's history. And finally, when Jesus came, this is now given to the Greeks or to the Gentiles, which the last time I checked, all of us seated in this hall, most of us fall under that category. Unless you are a Jew and I have not met you yet, I want to welcome you to ERPC. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. How do you tap on this thing called righteousness of God? Which essentially means, if you boil it down, a right relationship with God. How do we get right with God? He's asking the wrong question. How does God end His enmity against us? How does God get right with us? Because He has a rightful anger and wrath and punishment upon us. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So the storyline of Romans, in the words of one commentator, which is, I think, rather good, that from chapter 1, verse 18, and we read a portion of it to start in a responsive reading, it speaks about this righteousness of God that we can download, that we can respond to only by faith. Then from chapter 5 onwards, that is at the heart of what we're dealing with today, it's talking about the power of God for the salvation of everyone, first for the Jew and then for the Gentiles. The priority of Jews, the finality of the Gentiles, giving rise to the totality of the church. So I'm going to trace the storyline for you so you're not lost and I don't preach unfaithfully out of context. The righteousness of the Gentiles, which in God's eyes is actually the unrighteousness, you read that. Although they knew God, they did not honour Him as God, nor give thanks to Him. You know how serious it is not to be thankful. It's a very serious business to be thankless in life. Thankless to God. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, the immortal God, for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, the world that he lived in, Paul lived in, everywhere he went, temples, temples everywhere, man-made religions everywhere, idol, idol everywhere. And every, every corner you turn, it looked like people are so religious, so religious, 
We call this idolatrous righteousness. From God's perspective, it's not religious at all. It doesn't please His heart. It doesn't do anything for our rebellion shown in our sin against Him. That's against the Gentiles. But what's God's beef with the Jews? For all who sin without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And so for the Jews, their presumption was, their fake confidence was, their law righteousness, that God had given a way for them to be righteous. Of course, it's mistaken. God never gave them the law as a way to be righteous. It was a way to keep walking in His grace. He had graced them to be His people. And so they did it by law righteousness, which in the end became works righteousness. All these things we do, check, 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 Ten Commandments, check, 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 ultimately. And here is God's conclusion of the righteousness we might offer ourselves or unthinkably offer Him. For there is no distinction whether Gentile or Jew, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. So now we can trace the storyline. Why shouldn't we be ashamed of the gospel? Because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew. So this is God's assurance plan for us. And God's assurance plan for us, if you follow the line of Paul's writing here, he's assuring us of future glory, that what he began, he will finish, and God promised that we will share in his glory, have new glorified bodies forever and ever. And the two things, like a sandwich that assures us, we are firstly assured by Jesus' death, once of death on the cross 2,000 years ago, and you're also assured that He who began a good work in us because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, and that is in Romans 8. But in between, we're going to face two fatal enemies to assurance of righteousness of God, a righteousness by faith. And the two enemies are the power of sin and the power of the law. Which means that there will be every temptation to go back and rescue yourself and save yourself by your own cleverness, by your own religiousness, by your own law-keeping. So our two fatal dangers to God's insurance plan in Jesus and God's assurance to us through the gospel is that we underestimate the power of sin in our life. And we overestimate the power of us obeying the law and being moral and righteous in God's eyes. So we look to the wrong places and look to the wrong people to be right with God. I want to ask you, as you look at this and stare down this thing, are you underestimating the power of sin in your life? Did you notice what God calls us in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 11? God gives us four titles. We are totally weak 
to do anything about our status before Him. We are totally ungodly. We are sinners. We are enemies. Right? You want to try this out in some way and say to someone, that's a, let me just pick up ungodly. Ungodly. There is a prefix, godly. That means you resonate God and His character and you fulfill Ungodly is the negation of God, the cancelling of God in my life. So I want to ask you, do you live each day cancelling God or you live each day glorifying God? Answer is, we live each day cancelling God and His Word and His purposes for our lives. You underestimating the power of sin in your life? And we said in our New Year's Eve service and our Christmas services, it's the same message as John the Baptist. Prepare the way of the Lord. There'll be no newness of life unless you confess our sinfulness of heart. There'll be no newness of life unless we confess our helplessness. We are weak and powerless to do anything about it. So friends, from God's perspective, you and me are not passively nice people. Sometimes you say, hey, he's very nice. Huh? She's very nice. From God's perspective, you are at least three things. Please tell me. You are ungodly, you are a sinner, and we are God's enemies. All of us. Please get used how to how God views you. This is who you are. If this is not who we truly are without Him, He wouldn't have to give us the gospel. And He wouldn't have to give us at the heart of the gospel, Jesus coming to die for us in our place. So, you believe this? You are not just passively nice, you are aggressively and willfully at war with God. If you don't get this right, friends, you'll never be assured and confident in your life. Right? So we test this out again and again. How many of us like it as children when our parents tell us to stop a bad habit you like it? How many of us like it as children when our parents tell us to start good habits? Just go for a neutral one, right? Clean up your room. Make it neater. So anybody children here? Most of us were children at one point. How many of you, when your parents said that to you, you said, wonderful parents. Oh, I love my father. He keeps telling me to clean up my room. Oh, I love him. My mother tells me to vacuum ever so often, to, 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 to mop and to clean because there's COVID-19 around. I really love my parents. You ever stay with a flatmate like that? I'm a, I discovered through time as I went to study overseas, um, quite neat. I had to be neat because youngest in a family of 12, if 12 children are not neat, it's called havoc. So we learn from young to, I was born with a broom. My roommate believed that there is order in chaos. So one day I couldn't take it anymore. So we were, you know, two single beds, one study table. I studied in the lounge room. And his study table would be a mess. It's like a tornado blew through. Day and night, eternal tornado. So I decided to clean it up on his behalf. He came back from lectures and what do you think he said? Hey Chris, thank you. Hey, brother, hey, bro, don't ever do that again. Huh? I can't find my things, you know. 
For the messy ones, there is order in chaos. There is truly order in chaos. Do you like it when you're told to do things? Nobody likes it. And I've been saying this. It's a mess out there in the West. The wearing of the mask, legislating it, might lead to civil war. You don't believe me, you just watch America. Just watch it go down the gurgler, the paragon of democracy. You tell me what to do, I tell you what to do. It's called anarchy. We hate it. I want to suggest to you, take on board God's definition and conclusion of us. That we are sinners, we are ungodly, we are enemies. We are aggressively and willfully at war with God in our hearts. We are not passively at peace with one another. If that was so, you're passively at peace, then whatever breakfast your father, mother, whatever put on the table, you'll be very happy. Whatever lunch, however, whoever is cooking, you'll be very happy. How many of you cook meals and everybody is happy? See, never put two women in the same kitchen. Why? Because they are passively nice to each other. No, friends. Because we are aggressively at war with each other. It might start off rather nice. Too many cooks really spoil the meal, friends. Are you going to come to the same conclusion? And so you're either going to go back to self-rescue or Jesus' rescue. You're going to go back to self-righteousness or the righteousness of God. It's a change of operating systems to make, us more, make it more understandable to us. When you change the operating system, you change the self. The new OS is Jesus and Jesus alone. The old OS is self. When you mix the two, it is fatal. It just doesn't work. Maybe that's why you and I sit here messed up. That years of church going or even years of church ministry hasn't done anything to the war in your heart. Because underneath that church going and underneath that church ministry is not a heart yielded to Jesus. You still think you can wriggle your way out of sin. You still think we can do this. So friends, never sideline sin. Sideline, siam. Never suppress. So you're dealing with anger as a sin, right? You're suppressing anger or you're surrendering anger. Suppressing anger is your own OS system. Surrendering anger to God and Jesus and say, help me God, that is the Jesus operating system. Suppressing lust is different to surrendering lust. Oh God, I've got a problem with lust. I just can't stop it. So which sin are you dealing with? That you can siam, sideline? That you can rationalize? That you can suppress? No, friends. We try all those things and two things on view. The sin is as serious and God's wrath on earth, on us, is still there. You have to choose your operating systems and I, I want to challenge myself and you. You choose it today. And you choose it for the rest of your life. For when you mix the two, 
with church going but not Christ following, it really messes things up. It will never bring serenity with God. It will still bring anxiety in your heart. Because at heart, you and me are still at war against God and consequently against neighbour. And then it goes on. Wait against this. Is the immeasurable love of God. You see, at just the right time, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows His love for us. So, for us, Christ died for us. The reason, the purpose of God sending Jesus is a love reason. That's why we declare the ultimate love story is not K-drama, even though that's good news. I mean, Hyunbin and... Yes. But that's nothing compared to Jesus and the church. That is the ultimate pairing. And this is the love story given to us. The immeasurable love of God giving us Jesus unthinkable, undeserved at the right time. Right throughout human history and your life and my life, we must have asked the question, when is, when is God going to break through? When is He going to do something about this situation? See what Paul says. At the right time, he struck the death blow to death. 2,000 years ago, he did that. You cannot time things better than God. God is never late. Not one moment later, not one moment earlier. Everything is timed to perfection in His divine calendar, from Alpha to Omega. You see, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And that is to pour out and show His love. That word there, right? God shows His love. God displays His love. God commends His love. God demonstrates His love. God proves His love. I've read so many different commentators, all possible. Now just think about that. In the past week, what have you displayed to somebody? To your father, frustration? To your wife, judgmentalism. To somebody who wronged you, unforgiveness. To everyone around you, you have displayed low-grade fever called anger. What has God displayed to us? He's redeeming love. That is what is on view when you look at Jesus dying on the cross. This is a man I don't deserve. This is a love I don't deserve. Because I don't love God, I hate God. In Romans chapter 1, it ends at verse 32. It causes God-haters. Ungodly, the cancelling of God, the negation of God, you and me have in our hearts a hatred towards God. Every time you do sin, part of your confessional life and repentant life is to firstly start at base number one. Base number one, if you play baseball, right, is confess, I hate God, I love self. I love self so much, I got no space to love God. That makes me a God-hater. That's why I love selfism. So, there is no newness of life until we humbly accept God's goodness to us in Jesus. You believe that? And then Paul goes on to what we call a much more argument. A greater, from a greater to a lesser argument. 
And the much more assurance argument runs along this line. Since therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? Did you notice the two verses, the two reasonings or the two arguments that Paul the Apostle puts out this much more? Which means that if God has done the harder thing, won't He do the easier thing? Which was harder for God to do? To save you, right? To justify you, declare you innocent while we were still His enemies or to save you now that you are His friends? He declared you innocent. This word justified is a legal word. You go to a court and the court case, the judge will declare you either guilty or innocent. In this case, the justification, the declaration is not of our morality. It's a legal, what they call a technical, a forensic declaration that even though James or Chris or Sule, I'm just naming a few people, I'm totally guilty of my rebellion against God shown in all the different sinfulness in different areas of my life. I'm totally guilty of that. God pronounced me, declares me, justifies me totally innocent. What do you call that? You might call that a miscarriage of justice. Because if I'm totally guilty and the judge has just declared me totally innocent, if you were, go back to the first illustration, yeah, I'm totally guilty of child abuse. And then the judge has just declared me totally innocent of that child abuse or molestation. The parents, the family, the siblings of that child will say that this, this judge is kelong. So loud. There's a miscarriage of justice. Right? Isn't there? Not if he laid the punishment on himself. He laid the punishment on his son. So God didn't overlook our sin. He stared at our sin in the face. He was grieved by it and angered by it, but instead of punishing us, he laid it on his son. He's done the harder thing. So right now, no matter how you feel in life, no matter how fallen or accused you feel in life, you, if you believe in Jesus, you are declared innocent in the sight of God. You believe that? So it's not dependent on how you feel in the day. It doesn't depend on circumstances. If you right now are declared innocent, you will surely be saved from God's wrath in the future when He comes to judge the world. And Romans 2 will say we are, we are heaping up, we are heaping up God's wrath against us for our continued rebellion against Him. Think about this, friends. And this is amazing. Very few arenas in life will we have this. Have what? Where, so, you did well enough in A-levels, you did well enough in IB, you got entry to university, your entry to university guarantees your graduation from university. How many of you have gone to such a university? Your entry to university doesn't guarantee your graduation from university. It doesn't. 
but it's the total opposite here. Your entry by faith in Jesus to download the righteousness of God will absolutely make sure that you're safe from God's wrath in the future. This is the only incidence in which you could say that. And that's very, very important. And so on a family holiday to, to Japan, we went to one of the cities, was Osaka. And um, we, we said we must go to, read a lot, heard a lot about Universal Studios there. Right? And so we pre-ordered the tickets. It was a good package. And no need to queue. Started early. Right? Started very early so we could max out the day with the number of exhibits, the number of rides we could go to. And then we went for our first one. So the first one that the family lined up with, they say this, this ride is, is the ride. And it's the best ride among all the universal uh, places that we go to. So I sat in there, buckled in, right? my wife on my left, and I think my daughter on my right. And then the, the ride, it jerked forward, then it jerked backwards. Then it jerked side to side. And to me, that was it. Because I'm a vertigo sufferer. One jerk to the right, one jerk to the left, one jerk to the front, one jerk to the back. Bang! It just went round. And I never prayed so hard in my life. For the three minutes of the ride. I <laughs> and that was it. I was spinning. By the time we landed, right, I don't know, two minutes, three minutes we landed, I was really spinning and nauseous. And Mona always said, hey, that was it. Ah. Nothing left. Nothing left for her. I headed straight for the washroom, right? And it was my destination for the next one hour, at least. I spent so much time in the washroom with my head in there, just throwing up, throwing up. I heard a Chinese boy come in and he used the, the cubicle beside me and say, said to his father in Mandarin, there's, there's a man here, he's vomiting, vomiting, vomiting. <laughs> I knew we were going for rides. I know I suffer vertigo. So do you, because you've been here long enough. I, I share that with you. But to enjoy the family holiday, I had psychoed myself, taken some medication, willed myself. I thought that I had, I had it under control, that my willpower and my medication would make me tahan. So we were graced with cheap tickets and a good package. I started sincerely, I ended disastrously. That won't happen to us in Christ Jesus. You start sincerely by faith in Him, you will end confidently by faith in Him. You begin with Him, you continue with Him, you end with Him. And that is it, friends. It's vitally important that we get that right. So many of us in our lives, we start something sincerely, excitedly, with all the hopes and wishes and goodwill, that we're not going to mess up in our lives, not going to mess up our marriages, not going to mess up our, our spiritual life, but we do, friends. We do. So the much more, the much more. If Christ has justified us now, while we are still His enemies, how much more will He save us now that we are reconciled to Him? So God's much more assurance to us, justified now by His blood, saving the future from the wrath of God, reconciled all sinners by the death of the Son, much more 
will we be saved by His life. And so the whole picture of Jesus saving us is on view. From His death, to His resurrection, to His ascension, to His return, we begin with Christ, we continue with Christ, we end with Christ. So the greatness of the good news is this. The greatness of the good news, the gospel alone reveals God's power to save us. Christ alone secures the sinner's initial pardon. God declares you innocent, totally innocent. People may accuse you left, right and centre, but in God's eyes, you're totally innocent. And Christ alone secures your final salvation. That, my friends, must be the greatest assurance for us. What He began, He will bring to completion. And then it ends in verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so the big word is, we are now reconciled with God. We have peace with God. And this is relational peace and true peace, no longer at war with God, at peace with God. That is our new status. It's asking us to rejoice in this. So the gospel assurance in practice, if we read the whole of Romans, the 16th chapters, you will come to chapter 12, and chapter 12 will say this. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so, and so we've started on back to basics. Why have we started with Romans chapter 5? And we don't get Christ and faith in Christ, saved by Christ alone, justified by Christ alone, correct. Then, friends, we are never, ever going to be assured. And gospel assurance is we are no longer going to be conformed by the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world from Romans 1 and 2 is to resort to some sort of self-rescue. As Gentiles, we will, res we will resort to our idols. As Jews, we resort to the works of the law. But whatever we resort to, it will amount to zero, to cancel our sin and to reverse God's rightful wrath against us. So I just want to give this to you in ending. I think too many of us are half-baked Christians. You know why? Because our new identity in Jesus should give birth to new habits of life, no longer to be conformed to the patterns of this world of self-rescue and self-righteousness. Then as we practice the new habits, that is all from the finished work of Jesus and the continuing work of the Holy Spirit, that will take us from present suffering to future glory, present suffering to future glory. Very few of us get onto the new habits that affirm our new identity. And that's why this series. And what are the new habits that maybe in seven weeks' time, through studying this personally, through studying this as families, to studying this in children's church and basic in our youth and as adults in discipleship groups, maybe a new pattern that your Monday to Sunday could look something like that. 
that the gospel assurance that you have a new identity flowing into new habits of life, that you could have thankful Mondays, thankful for Christ and Christ alone. Just spend that Monday night or Monday morning giving thanks for everything you have in Jesus. Just behold Jesus and the beauty of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus again and again. Do that. Then on Tuesday, you can thank God that you're saved not simply by Christ and Christ alone, but faith and faith alone, not by works of any kind. You know how good it is to be saved by Christ alone and faith alone? You no longer have to pretend. You no longer have to perform. You just have to run humbly to believe in Jesus. People will think you're out of your mind for believing that a man on the cross is the answer to all your problems in life. No, friends. Then on Wednesday, you can thank God that you can now live a life of holiness and you can hate sinfulness. Then on Thursday, you can thank God for objective scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, and not listening to all the subjective voices out there that drown you from morning to night on your phones and through your gadgets. Why listen to so much out there when it does nothing for your assurance, nothing for your anxiety, nothing for your war against God and the war in our hearts against our neighbour. Then on Friday, you can thank God for prayers, that prayers accomplish more things than our subjective plans. Then Saturday, you can thank God for the church. This is the fellowship I really need. For when I meet God's people, they remind me of God. I not just join another club, another association. No other club association ever reminds you of your sin and your saviour. And on Sunday, you can thank God that you are called by God not simply to receive His redeeming love. You are called by God not simply to waste your life and squander your life with endless entertainment, but you are called by God to evangelism. So we try to practice this as the family. Every Sunday night, by the time we finish with our, our, our dinner once a week, gather as a whole family, it's salvation night. Praying for anyone and everyone in our family who still hasn't come to know Jesus as their personal Saviour and Lord. Family and friends, it's so important. I've used this quote three times now. This is not the year, COVID-19. This is not the year to, get, to have everything we want. This is the year to appreciate everything we have. My prayer and my plea for myself and for all of us is that we not just claim, presume to have a new identity in Jesus, but we have new habits of life every day. And these new habits that affirm that we belong to our Saviour and are living out salvation. So maybe you want to practice this. By the end of seven weeks, you will have seven anchor passages under your belt. For Christ and Christ alone, you have Romans 5, verse 6 to 11. For faith and faith alone, you have Ephesians 2, verse 8, 8 and 9. Right? For holiness, you have Titus. For Scripture, you have 2 Timothy. We're not asking you to remember the whole of the Bible. If you could have 7 Scriptures or 10 Scriptures to stand against Satan and stand against sin, that becomes your shield and your armour. But too many of us presume that I have the Bible. But I don't even know one verse by memory. One verse that I could... I could hit Satan back with. And we just started last, last week 
For every temptation Satan threw at Jesus, he quoted scripture, please correct me, for every temptation he threw at Jesus, the devil misquoted scripture to twist it and to turn it. And so our prayer is this. So how safe are you? And how assured are you? How safe and how assured you are of your salvation depends on two main things. It depends on how seriously Pastor Jason takes his sin. If you don't take your sin seriously, then it depends on how humbly you need your Saviour, Jesus. If you don't take the two things seriously, I add a third one in between. If you don't take your sin seriously, you don't take God's wrath against us seriously, there is no need to take Jesus as your Saviour seriously. Justifying you by His blood, saving you by His life in the end. So how safe and how assured are you of your salvation? I woke up to the news sent by one of our church staff that somebody we know, a brother in Christ, who used to worship here, I think I can mention his name, Wing Kiong, has now been admitted to palliative care. I knew Wing Kiong all the way from University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia, where I was the student pastor of a varsity Christian group. And he and his brother Wing Po came, heard the gospel for the very first time. Wing Kiong is, was strong and healthy. He used to pride himself in his health. I was a recipient of his strength many years ago. He would have forgotten. I told him when we chatted a few months ago. He said there are a few things about me I'll, he'll never forget, and we praise God. I said there's one thing about you, Wing Kiong, I'll never forget. Remember we went out for an outing? We went out for an outing as a Christian fellowship, a varsity Christian fellowship. Right? And then we had to cross quite a deep stream or river. And uh, for your public knowledge, I, I don't know how to swim. I can't swim. And guess what he did? He said, don't worry, I'll carry you. I said, no lah. So embarrassing. No lah, I'll carry you. Right? So where we entered was about here. But where we crossed over was about here and here. And so I piggybacked on him. I'll never forget that. And to think that he's been struck, stricken with a cancer, and now he's in terminal illness, in his last days, in palliative care. You can go and watch him give his testimonies. I can send it to you. He's unashamed that he believes in Jesus. So the first hymn that came to mind, I know whom I believe it. I am able. I am able. He's rock solid. His life is ebbing away. But his assurance is growing moment by moment. He's looking forward to his glorious new body and his glorious eternity with God. I gospeled him more than 30 years ago. 
I'm not sure how my ending would come. Now he has gospeled me and his assurance of faith has really, really strengthened me. Because he has taken his sin seriously, he has taken God's wrath upon his pride seriously, and he has taken his desperate need of Jesus seriously. And so he will go to eternity and enjoy glory with God forever and ever. Of that he is sure. Of that his wife is sure. Of that his two children are sure. Of that his dear brother here, Wing Po, is sure. Of that I'm sure as a brother in Christ. Are you sure? When you breathe your last and you close your eyes, imagine there is no heaven. There's only sky above us, below us. It's not by imagination. It's by revelation. You see, at just the right time, while we were still weak or powerless, Christ died for us. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? I've tried to keep that in my heart, not simply the whole week. These seven basic Bible studies have put me onto a lifelong habit. Every newcomer's class was conducted by myself and Mona in our home until the church exploded beyond 500, 800 people. But now it's being replicated. We are doing this series to make sure you are not safe by presumption, that you are safe by affirmation. Spend a few quiet moments by yourself in humbly hearing and accepting that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Who and what can save us from the power of sin? Who and what can save us from the guilt of sin? Who and what can save us from the penalty of sin? Who and what can save us from your, from your rightful wrath against us? O Spirit of God, lead us to the cross of Jesus and help us not to be so foolish to mix and match our self-rescue in moments of our sinfulness. Help us not to squirm and sideline and suppress our sinfulness, but to come to Jesus and to freely confess our sin and to humbly receive our salvation. From our new identity must come new habits that we are not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, which tries its very best to save ourselves from sin and from your wrath. Help us to be set free to new habits of life that affirm that we belong to Jesus and we pray that going back to basics 
and going back to Jesus will make us bear fruit for you, to glorify you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.